We are in a series called Game Changer, and it is a look at the life of Christ through the eyes of those whose lives He forever changed. And uh, on this Valentine's Day weekend, we are exploring this particular topic, when your relational well runs dry. John chapter 4. Back in 2008, Jim O'Neill was returning home to southeastern England from a vacation trip to Scotland. Uh, having been a pilot for 18 years, he was very comfortable flying his Cessna 182 uh, until, until that day. About 40 minutes into the flight, Jim had a stroke that left him blind. At first, he thought he'd just got a glint off of, of the sunshine off of something shiny and that it had blinded him for a moment, but it didn't take very long until he discovered that it was something much worse than that. He sent out a Mayday distress call because when you cannot see the horizon out your window and when you cannot read the instruments on your panel at an altitude of 5,500 feet, you are in a world of hurt. RAF Wing Commander Paul Gerard had just finished a training uh, flight when the emergency call came in and he was redirected to Jim O'Neill's plane to fly alongside as eyes in the sky. And so Gerard flew his Takano turboprop alongside the stricken pilot, talking him down with the help of ground crew to see if they could get him back down on the ground at the nearest available airport. The conversation went something like this. Bank gently left. That's it. Now level off. Don't, don't drop the nose too quickly. A little more right rudder. You're doing fine. Cut back on your airspeed. Even when you do an instrument approach into an airport, at some point when you break out of the clouds or you break out of the undercast or overcast, you have to be able to see the runway to land. But what do you do when you are totally flying blind? You, you hang on every word of the guide. And you keep on flying because you have no other option. Jim would have to land the plane by faith, not by sight. On his first two attempts, the plane hit the ground so hard it bounced back up into the air and right back into the pattern on the eighth time around. Jim put the Cessna on the ground in a landing that any student pilot on his first solo flight would have been proud of. When it comes to our personal relationships, many of us are flying blind. We're going through the motions, but we can't really see what needs to be done. We keep circling the problems, but we never can land the plane. What we need is someone to come alongside and help us see what we cannot see. And what do you do when the way looks dark and blank that's ahead? You hang on every word of any relational advice and you keep on flying because you got to keep on flying. Flying by faith, not by sight. In John's Gospel, in the fourth chapter, we find a woman who is running on empty and flying blind. Her relational well has run dry and she desperately needs someone to come alongside of her and give her some direction and guidance. And that's exactly what happened on that day in Samaria when Jesus ended up at the well where she was coming to get water at noon. You have seen and heard her story already this morning. 
But there are a lot of broken relational issues in that passage that I want us to just see for a moment. Because I suspect you will find yourself in at least one of these, if not several of them. In that story of the woman at the well, we, we, we are first of all impressed by the fact that there is a broken international relationship. Now, the land of Judea bordered Samaria on the south, and it bordered Galilee on the north. And so, the interaction between Jew and Samaritan was frequent, but it was passionately despising. No good Jew liked a Samaritan. No good Samaritan liked a Jew. And when I say they were passionate about hating each other, I mean they were passionate even those men who spent three years of their lives being transformed in the presence of Jesus could not quite escape the barrier that had been built up between Jew and Samaritan. Matthew and Mark's Gospels don't even mention the Samaritans. John only speaks of one incident. It is this incident in chapter 4. And in this particular story, when you look at the woman at the well, you do not see her as an outstanding model to follow. And so John includes this story of a Samaritan woman who is less than stellar in her example. But Luke? Luke tells us the story of the ten lepers who were healed. And the only one that came back to say thank you to Jesus was a Samaritan. And Luke is the only gospel that records for us what many believe is the most powerful, beautiful parable that Jesus ever told, the parable of the good Samaritan. And you say, why didn't the rest of them include these? It's because Luke was not a Jew. Luke was a Gentile. He has no problem with the Samaritans. He writes and tells us some of the great events, but Matthew and Mark and John just couldn't bring themselves to tell all the story. That hatred and bias ran deep. This story reminds us that there are international broken relationships and barriers all the way through life. We see it the same today. We know it's true around us everywhere. There's also the broken male and female relationship here. Culturally, Jesus should not have been talking to this woman. That would not have been a wise thing to do. He could have been dismissed by the religious leaders for even talking to a woman in public we still see the brokenness today. We hear cries of inequality or the war on women or the battle against manliness. The harsh words fly back and forth like barbs on an arrow, even today. There is the picture of broken intimate relationships. This woman had been married and divorced five times and at the moment was living with a man outside of the bounds of marriage. None of those scenarios were what God would want for her. Again, let me remind you that according to God's Word, there is only one acceptable relationship for the expression of sexual intimacy, and that is marriage between a man and a woman. This woman had been married five times and was currently shacking up with a guy who was unwilling to commit to her, or, or maybe she was unwilling to commit to him, or, or maybe they were just unwilling to commit to each other. Either way. They were damaging their potential future together. Today's studies reveal that while many couples decide to live together before marriage, 
to, to test the waters to see if they are compatible, that such a decision actually works against them being successful in marriage. It doesn't work for them, it works against them. Here are the hard facts. 67% of cohabiting couples who marry eventually divorce, compared to 45% of all first-time marriages where they didn't live together beforehand. So may I suggest again, to try it God's way, Follow God's pattern and his plan. Stick to his eyes when we cannot see because we're blind by the broken relationships of this world. Because I'm here to remind you folks that what God has asked of us, what God has commanded of us is never to hurt us. It is always to preserve our joy and to be a blessing to our lives. Then we also see broken community relationships here. She went to the well at noon so she wouldn't run into the other woman from the village who didn't want to associate with a woman like her or so that she wouldn't have to hear them whispering behind their hands. It doesn't take much energy to run the rumor mill. Gossip is like a raging river. It overflows its banks and destroys whatever is in its path. What is it about us? that likes to gossip about our neighbors in such a way that it breaks our relationships. What, what Brian Williams has purportedly done as a news reporter certainly deserves a reprimand and time away from his job. But I have been utterly amazed at the outpouring of indignation at what Brian Williams has done. And, and I'm really wondering, folks, if it's about the truth, because there are so many other areas in our culture where we turn a blind eye to the truth and lies that are going on around us, and nobody thinks anything about it. Or could it be, could it be that we're the kind of people that like to see somebody who is high up the food chain fall? Because I think a lot of us just like to see the people at the top of their game take a tumble. Maybe it makes us feel better. Maybe it gives us something to talk about. I'm just telling you that there are a lot of broken relationships in the communities and the villages and the places where we live that neighborliness is a lost thing. There are broken spiritual relationships in this passage as well. John chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. This is the woman speaking to Jesus. She said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's saying, where is the right place to worship? It was the wrong question. It's not about where, it's about who do we worship and how do we worship that makes the difference. And we live in a world of dysfunctional, broken spiritual relationships. You see, living in a broken world leads to broken relationships if, if we don't have someone who comes alongside of us to be our eyes when we cannot see and to give us direction on how to land safely. I find it incredibly hopeful, folks, that the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit's ministry and uses a word that we most often translate either the word comforter or advocate. But the word, when, when, you, when you boil it down, the word literally means one who comes alongside of you to help. 
This is one of the most glorious descriptions of the Holy Spirit. One who comes alongside of you to help. That's what a comforter does. That's what an advocate does. But to, but to think about it is somebody coming alongside of me to help get me through the tough times of life. That God has promised to be my eyes when I cannot see. That God has promised to be our living water when our relational wells have gone dry. When this woman came to Jacob's well, she was thirsty, but not primarily for the water in the well. She thought that's why she'd come to the well, but Jesus knew better. She was parched for a positive relationship in her life, and he knew that only through him could she navigate the way through the dry and arid land of broken relationships. Now, I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts to take home this morning about relationships that I hope will be an encouragement to you. This is not new stuff. I'm giving you stuff that you already know. It's just that we forget it often. And, and the first one is simply this. Refresh your relationship with others. Today on this Valentine's weekend, we are celebrating and encouraging married couples because marriage in the home is such an important part of the fabric of our culture. I could tell you a lot of things that you, about marriage and its relationships that we could read and all the guidelines, but I would rather you hear that from folks in our own congregation. So, I want you to listen to this video and some wise and sound advice from some of the folks that are here. I think there's probably a lot of qualities and characteristics that are important to be a, a part of a good, successful marriage, but, you know, I guess some of the ones that come to mind initially are uh, being able to show grace to one another, being able to forgive one another, um, learning how to say you're sorry. Certainly a healthy sense of humor is, is a critical thing to have along the way. I think um, also we try to put each other first. Um, I think we're really intentional about doing that. Um, we think about each other's needs. Disagreeing is okay, but how you present those disagreements to one another is really important. So if one spouse feels stupid or put down, that's not really gonna help the situation at all to always respect your spouse and their opinions and how they feel. Yeah, I agree. I think that that goes uh, back to love. And I think that love is obviously one of the most important things that you need. And when you love someone, you're gonna, you're gonna respect their opinion. You're gonna speak to them in a manner in which they, they should be spoken to. Uh, and at the same time, you're gonna put them in their needs uh, ahead of your own. We come from a blended family and I have a 14 year old daughter. So Jeremy has a stepdaughter in the home and we also have a two year old. And uh, so our situation can bring on some challenges and communicating through those challenges, I think is what brings us together. The world will have you believe that 50% of all marriages end in divorce, regardless whether you're in or the church or out of the church. We believe that that's not true. We believe a couple that's working on their faith and is in prayer together will have a very successful marriage. We also believe that it takes a lot of hard work on each of our parts. It's not a one-way street. It's both of us giving of ourselves 100%. The keys for me, when you're in trouble, you take her out to dinner. When you're in doubt, you keep your mouth shut and you await further instructions. And when you're in fear, you go to your mother's. This is our second marriage. Each, so we're a blended family. One way we've found to, to address these challenges is to put God first. And by that I mean uh, we each are individually growing spiritually towards God 
And by doing that, it's brought us a lot closer together and a lot stronger. It's really about making the choice to stay committed. And, um, and it takes a lot of work, quite frankly, a lot of compromise. Uh, and as you can see, lots of fun and laughter too, because it's meant to be fun. We um, started in the beginning doing the married life classes and now we have progressed to the step family class at church. Um, so we've tried to take advantage of all the resources that they have throughout the week. Also in the evenings we would um, read a devotional, a marriage devotional before we would go to sleep and then also pray together. And that really helped us grow together. And then the last thing that I think that we did that was probably the most helpful was serving together because just serving together kind of reminded us to think outside of ourselves and to think of others. Many years ago, when we first got married, I wish I would have learned about the five love languages. Mm -hmm. Knowing what your spouse's love language is, is key to helping them feel like they're loved. The more selfless you get, the more in love you become. That's what marriage is to me. Same kind of a relationship as we have with Christ. Wise advice from people who have been down that road good stuff. Let me just add to that that there are two pillars upon which any successful marriage stand. One of those is trust and the other is commitment. When you do things to destroy trust or when you waffle on your commitment to one another, the odds of your marriage surviving are slim to nil. Scott M. Stanley writes, he said, the erosion of commitment in marriage has actually made it more and more difficult for people to achieve their deepest desires in life. It doesn't just affect your marriage, it affects everything. You want a good example of commitment? In February of 2013, Melissa DeGesso-Jones donated a kidney to her husband. She said, I'm giving as much love as I have. Now, most people saw that, including her husband, as a great sacrifice, but she saw it differently. She told her husband, she said, this is an investment. This is our life. It's not just your life I'm giving to. There can't be an us without it. That's commitment. But marriage isn't the only relationship that requires commitment. It's just one among all of the relationships that we share. That same theme of commitment applies to every relationship, parent, child, friend, extended family, you name it. And it takes commitment to th push through the tough and unpleasant and hurtful moments to help create better times. That's what commitment does. Commitment helps you create better times. Those who seem to be going through better times are committed to making sure the better times happen. Because if you get up, give up too soon, you will never, you'll never enjoy the better times. I like things that are easy to remember, so I want to give you three C's about relationships. Three C's about relationship. First one we've already talked about. It's commitment. First, first C is commitment. Second C is consideration. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stated it succinctly and powerfully. We have nicknamed it the golden rule, and it simply reads like this in Matthew 7, 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, we oftentimes leave off that second part, but it is the second part that says, you want a summary of what the law and the prophets of the Old Testament is trying to teach us? It's this. Treat one another as you would like to be treated. It doesn't need explanation. It just needs application. Be kind and considerate, and you cannot imagine how far that will take you. 
author and preacher Elton Trueblood made this observation. How do I want to be remembered? Not primarily as a Christian scholar, but as a loving person, end quote. After the famous French scientist Louis Pasteur had made a name for himself in his research in immunology and in the process that bears his name, pasteurization, he turned his attention to developing a vaccine for rabies. Just as he was about to begin experimenting with this vaccine on himself, uh, a boy by the name of Joseph Meester was bitten 14 times by a rabid dog, and his mother pleaded with Pasteur to experiment on her son. The pastor knew at that point in time that his work might be discredited if it didn't work, if the vaccine and the inoculations didn't help. As a matter of fact, his entire reputation might go down the tubes, but he also knew that if the situation reversed and it was him that had been bitten, he would want somebody to do something to help him. So over the next 10 days, pastor administered injections to Joseph Meester. He survived. Of all of his great accomplishments, when Louis Pasteur died, in 1895, he requested only three words appear on his tombstone. These are the three words for his epitaph. Joseph Meester lived. You see, it's, it's relationships, and it's being kind and considerate and treating people the way you want to be treated that makes all of the difference. What kind of a legacy will you leave? What, what could somebody carve on your tombstone? Would they be able to describe you as kind and considerate? Third C, communication. For all of our technology regarding communication and all of its advanced forms today, I think we are poorer communicators on a one-to-one -one basis. And there is no substitution for one-on-one -on -one communication. And I frankly admit to you this morning, I need work in that area. I can stand up here and preach to you, but that's a one-sided conversation. I'm doing the talking, you're doing the listening. I, I assume you're doing the listening on the other side. Healthy personal communication, though, takes a lot of work and energy. And when I don't invest hard work and energy with my ears and with my mouth, I always pay a price. One-on-one -on -one communication is not easy. It does require a lot of work. I suspect you are much the same at different times in your life. But don't let our advanced communication technology keep you from communicating well. Writing to the editor of his local paper about a recent storm that had knocked out all their electricity and, as a result, the Internet, a husband elaborated all that went down on his house that day. His TV was not working. His computer wasn't working. The surround sound entertainment system was not working. He could not connect with his iPad or his iPhone to the internet, and so he went into the kitchen to make a cup of coffee because he couldn't think of anything else to do, and the Keurig wasn't working either because of the electricity being off, and so he said he sat down and began a conversation with his wife, and this is what he wrote. We talked for nearly an hour before the power came back on. She seems like a very nice person. <laughs> Learn how to communicate and communicate well because the health of your relationship, any relationship, depends on it. 
And, and then I want you to take this one home with you too. Not just refresh, refresh your relationship with others, but refresh your relationship with God. Honestly, the, these two relational thoughts are, are reversed. This is by far the more important of the two. I, I put it last because I wanted to talk about it last. But really, this one has to come first. If your relationship with the Lord is not where it needs to be, it will be hard for you to get the other relationships in your life where they need to be as well. Thinking of the important question that the Samaritan woman asked about Jesus brings this to mind. Occasionally, I will hear somebody say this with regard to worship. I don't go to church. I just don't get anything out of a worship service. I understand what the person is saying, but the focus is misplaced. When we contemplate what the Bible has to say about worship, the evaluation is not dependent upon whether or not we are pleased, but rather upon whether God is pleased. The heart of worship is not centered on us. It is centered on Him. And it matters little whether or not we get anything out of it. It matters greatly what we put into it and what we give to him out of our hearts, our heads, and our hands. The concern of the Samaritan woman was simple. Am I okay worshiping where I worship? We do it on a mountaintop. You all do it in Jerusalem. Am I okay? And Jesus said, no, it's not about the where. I've come to give you living water. It is about a relationship with me. And that is what changed her life. Not the answer to her question as she expected, but the fact that it's not the where, it's the who. And the who and the how. Worship is a spiritual experience that is the natural response to a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we limit worship to what we do here on a Sunday morning, when we just go through the motions here, a little bit of singing, a little bit of listening, a little bit of communion, a little bit of sleeping, and then we're all done. <laughs> is that really what pleases God? Now, I hope what we do here pleases God. But if it's limited to this hour, we've got it all wrong. It's not about the where. It's about the who and the how of my everyday life as I build a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about a ritual. It's about a relationship. It's about righteousness, not religiosity. It's not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of concentration. Would we still have our jobs? Would we still have our marriages if we put the same amount of energy and time into those areas as we put into worship? Because you see, this, this worship of God, this relationship with God has to be a top priority. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is with the ultimate game changer himself, Jesus Christ. He and he alone is the living water. As a matter of fact, if you've worked hard at every other relationship and you've let this one slip through the cracks, you have no relationship with him. Your relational well is dry. But if he is your guiding light, if he is directing your path, if you are drinking deeply from the water he has to offer, then you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Following Jim O'Neill's ordeal, the BBC News made a recording of the final few moments 
uh, of that flight uh, between Wing Commander Paul Gerard and Jim O'Neill and, and, and the last few words from the commander, his eye in the sky pilot, were these. Keep coming down, turn left, turn left. Hey, no, no, no problem. Can you see the runway now? So you cannot see the runway. Keep coming down. Keep coming down. And then the commander's final words of direction were these. You are safe to land the plane. Are you listening to the voice of our spiritual commander? Are you following his lead and hanging on his every word? Someday when this life is over and we stop flying by faith, won't it be grand to hear those words? Christian, it is safe for you to land. Until that day comes, it is a walk by faith, not by sight. And it is walking with him as our primary relationship that makes all the difference in every other relationship. If your relational well is dry this morning, you need Jesus Christ.